Hello and welcome back to the third session of the new creation teaching series that I entitled The Great Exchange. And today we are going to cover three exciting things. The first, the first one is we are going to talk about how are all the people in the world born in this world, in what legal status and vital state, what kind of nature of their spirit they are born, in what, on what legal status towards God are you and me born in this world before salvation. So we're going to talk about that. The second thing that we'll cover today is in how, in what way and how was Jesus Christ made sin on our behalf? Was it just legally or both legally and vitally in his very nature? 2 Corinthians 5 21 says that Jesus, God made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become His righteousness, uh, God's the righteousness of God in Him. So we're going to see in what way Jesus was made sin. And the, uh, the third thing with, that we're going to discuss and study is what, what has Jesus' life uh, accomplished? His 33 years that he lived on this earth, how did God use that life? How did God use that sinless life and what was the purpose of it? And uh, we're going to see that in detail. Are you ready to begin? Uh, we'll start off with uh, two biblical passages that we'll read. One, the first one is from Romans. Chapter 5, verse 12, and uh, verses 17 to 19. And I just cut uh, mainly the first part of each verse because that's, with that, that is what I'm interested in mainly for this first uh, point that I want to discuss. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Are you ready? Do you have your Bibles ready? Uh, let's read together. <clears throat> Romans 5, 12, 17, and 19. Through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sin. By the transgression of the one, verse 17, death reigned through the one. Verse 18, through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men. And verse 19, through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Amen. And the second uh, scripture from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Here, the apostle Paul speaks, talks to, addresses the church in Ephesus, where there were mainly believers, so they were already saved. That's why Paul talks to them in the past tense that you were dead, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, based on these two passages, let's see together, let's notice together, and study and analyze. What is the legal status of every human being that is born into this world before salvation? And what is the vital state? What is the nature of their spirit, even from birth? We, we see in Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 18 that we just read, it says this, Through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men and to all women and to all human beings. So because of the one transgression that Adam did initially in, in the garden, 
all men are condemned. So you and I, we are born into this world condemned, already guilty. Before we do anything good or, or, or bad, no matter how beautiful and innocent uh, infants look, they are condemned before God. And not only that, the nature of their spirit, the vital state, their vital state, the Bible says in Romans 5, 19, the last verse of the first passage says that through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So in the, in the very nature of our spirits, we are born sinners because of Adam's sins and not because any not because of our actions, good or bad. We are sinners from birth because of Adam's sin. And we are not sinners because we do sinful actions, but it's the other way around. We do sinful actions because we are sinners. So uh, it's not our sinful actions that make us sinners, that give us an, a sinful nature, but our sinful nature that we are born with, that evil principle that is in the spirit, in the nature of our spirit, that is what makes us or cause us to, to, to do sinful actions. And we are not we are not just considered sinners by God. We, uh, sin is not just imputed to us. As we, we saw in Adam, death and sin was not imputed, just imputed to him. He became sin. He became death. And in the same way, sin, we are not just considered sinners. We were made sinners. We are born sinners. And we were born, uh, Romans 5.12, if we look uh, back, it says that we are born in sin and spiritual death. It says that sin entered into the world and death entered through sin. And death spread to all men because all sin. So spiritual death spread to all men. We are born in sin. And Ephesians 2 verse 1 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. So uh, to, the, to Adam's sin that he did in the beginning, we add our own sinful actions and we are dead. In other words, we are dead to God and alive to sin. We are separated from God and we have fellowship with sin because sin is in us. That evil principle is in us, present with us in our spirits. That's how we are born. And the Spirit says, uh, verse 2 in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 says that the Spirit of the Prince of the power of the air, the, the spiritual forces of darkness that we talk in the heavenly places, the evil spirits, they are at work in us because we are sons of disobedience. They are working in us. And we will see that we are, when we are born again, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and replaces that Prince of the air, that evil spirit, that, those evil spirits that influence us. Then we, the Holy Spirit works starts working in us so we are born and we are led we are guided by the spirit of the prince of the air and the the last verse of, uh, of the second passage in Ephesians says that we were and we are by nature children of wrath any infant that is born in this world is a child of wrath it sounds terrible it sounds it doesn't it doesn't match with the cuteness and the uh, the beauty of a, an infant but that's the truth that's what the bible says that we are born children of wrath and the last thing that i want to say here about the vital state in which we are born in this world is that if we remain in that state 
and this is before salvation. If we don't do anything about it, if we don't receive Christ in our hearts and we don't believe in Him, the lake of fire and the second death awaits for us. Where not only the devil, not only death, not only the place of the dead will go in the lake of fire, but anyone who, whose name was not found in the book of life. That is, that is found in Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 says this, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's how the things are when you are born into this world. You are legally condemned, judicially condemned, guilty, and vitally in your nature, you are a sinner. You are a sinner. You are sin. You are spiritual death, and you need salvation. As we move on, we will see what Jesus, we will try to scratch the surface of what Jesus Christ accomplished at the cross and what is that great exchange that I'm talking about in this session. What was our right to become saved and how did God work, work out this mystery of redemption through Jesus Christ? So let's move on to the second part of this session and uh, we will read 2 Corinthians 5.21 again where it says this, He made him, God made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Can you imagine what honor and privilege God has given us to become the righteousness of God Himself, His own righteousness in, uh, in our nature? Can you imagine that? That's so amazing, so extraordinary. He deserves so, all the praise and all the glory. Thank you, Father. So He made Jesus sin and on our behalf so, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, the interesting part and the question that I, I will try to answer here, in what way was Jesus made sin? Was He made legally, judicially only, or both legally and vitally in His nature? Did He take the nature of sin? Or the nature of Satan. And there are two main uh, perspectives, uh, standpoints about this uh, in the Christian world. The first one is that Jesus Christ was made just judicially, legally was made sin, like a sin offering for us. And But on the same token, Christians are in the same way made just legally righteous. Meaning that they remain sinners in their nature, in the nature of their spirits, but the righteousness is imputed to them. They are considered by God righteousness. That's the first perspective. The second perspective uh, is that uh, some of Christians believe that Christians have become not only legally righteous, but also in their nature, vitally. So Christian, when the Christian became righteous, they became legally and vitally. But for that to happen, they now make Jesus also that they say they uh, uh, advocate that Jesus Christ was made sin both legally and in vitally in his nature. And I believe with the knowledge and the revelation that I have at this point from the Bible, I think there is a little bit of error in both the perspectives. What I will, uh, what I will teach in this session is that Jesus was made sin uh, on our behalf or sin offering just judicially or legally. But when we became righteousness, we became righteous, the righteousness of God, both legally and vitally in our nature. Uh, our, the nature of our spirit has changed completely. What are the consequences of Jesus becoming sin in his very nature? If Jesus had, be, had been made sin in his nature, the first thing that uh, would have happened is that he would not have been anymore the perfect and the blameless sacrifice for our sins.
We see in the Old Testament, when we go back to the people of Israel, when they came from Egypt out and God took them out with a strong hand, we see uh, that God commanded them to take a Passover lamb and kill it and sacrifice it and put the blood of that lamb on the doorsteps of their houses so that when the angel of death would come, he, uh, uh, he will pass over their houses to kill the firstborn of every, of every family. So we see this Passover lamb that, G, uh, that God commanded them to take as a type of Christ that uh, is go was going to come, of Christ himself. He would be the lamb of God. And we see that in first in the Old Testament, we see in Exodus 12, verse 21, the Bible says this, Then Moses, Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. And then we go in, we come into, uh, into the New Testament uh, in uh, the epistle of John, chapter 1, verse 29 and 36. And we see Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God, as the Passover Lamb for us. The next day the, he saw, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, he said by the Spirit of God, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in verse 36, And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So this sacrificial lamb had had to be unblemished and we will see in a few passages in the bible uh, uh, and at the time of sacrifice a hand would be placed on the on the animal uh, signif uh, signifying that the animal the the guilt of the people the guilt of the people sacrificing that animal would be transferred on the animal but the animal itself uh, would not become sin in his in its nature uh, but sin and the guilt of people will be transferred just judicially, legally. The animal would become a substitute. And it, it could have been a goat, um, a bull, a lamb, uh, but it had to be without blemish, without blame, unblemished. It had to be perfect, without defect. That was God's command, God's decree. In order for the sacrifice to be accepted, it had to be without defect. And that's important. Let's read a few passages from the Old Testament. The first one is from Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. God says, Your lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So unblemished male. Uh, the next passage is uh, Leviticus chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. If the anointed priest sins so as to bring guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord a bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He shall bring the bull to the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of the bull and slay the bull before the Lord. So again, we see here, a bull without defect. And the last passage in Leviticus 22 verse 20, it says this, and this is important. Whatever has a defect, defect, you shall not offer, says God, for it will not be accepted for you. So if that animal had a defect, a defect, God will not accept the offer. And in the same way, Jesus Christ had to be without defect, without blame, innocent, separated from sins in order to be accepted by God. So if Jesus Christ had become sin in his nature, he would have lost 
that state of blamelessness, that state of innocence, of separation from sin. And he, his sacrifice would not have been accepted by God. The guilt was transferred on that animal in the Old Testament. Uh, in the same way, our sins were transferred onto Jesus just legally, judicially. He became our substitute, our payment. And we see that in 1 Peter 1.19, that Jesus Christ was utterly unblemished. 1 Peter 1.19, but you were redeemed. Uh, I, I added in the, between the parentheses with it, italics, you were redeemed because that's the context. Uh, Peter says, you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So the blood of Christ, the lamb was unblemished and spotless. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The transfer on him was just legal and not vital. So that's the first consequence. The first thing that uh, comes as um, if Jesus had become sin in his nature. The second thing that would have happened if Jesus had become sin is that he would not have had the right to resurrection. Why do I say that? Because in uh, Romans 6.23 the Bible says that uh, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if, if you sinned or if you were made sin, your penalty, the, your right penalty is death. So if Jesus sinned or he was made sin in his nature, he would have remained in death. He would not have had the right to a resurrection. God would not have had the right to bring him back to life because he was paying with death for his sins, as happened as it happened with Adam and with us, we we are reigned, we are over over overruled by death because we sin. So we are sinners in our nature. That's why death reigns over us because we are sins in our nature. So if Jesus had become sin, death would have conquered, and Jesus would not have come back from the dead, and that we wouldn't have wanted to happen. The third thing, uh, that uh, uh, the third negative consequence if Jesus was made a, a sin in his nature is that we as Christians can lose our salvation anytime. Why do I say that? If, if it was possible for Jesus who was the Son of God, who was fully God and had eternal life, to enter spiritual death and die forever, that means we as Christians that receive the same gift of eternal life, we can, we can lose our salvation, we can lose this gift and our nature can be anytime changed back from, from righteousness to sin. And that's not possible and we will see why. Nevertheless, when he died on the cross, he, he tasted, the Bible says that he tasted death, physical death and then spiritual death. In Hebrews 2, 9 that he tasted death for everyone. Death, spiritual death was outside of him. He tasted death. Uh, no, no wonder when he was on the cross, he felt he felt that G, uh, he was forsaken by God and said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? But he wasn't forsaken. But for that period, for that time, temporary uh, time, he tasted death. He tasted spiritual death and he wasn't accustomed with that. But death didn't change his nature. Let's read uh, Hebrews 2.9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So he tasted death, but he did not become death. That doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have the real possibility to sin. Because he lived as a human, if he lived as a God and fulfilled the law as a God with the power of God, 
then his sacrifice would not have been accepted by God for humans. He had to be human. He had to fulfill the law as a human. Otherwise, his sacrifice would not have been received. So he took on the human nature. He left his glory. He left his godliness, his God nature. He put it aside. And he came as a human and he, the temptations were real temptations. He had the real potentiality to sin and to enter spiritual death like us. So he, fight, he fought the good fight of faith and he fulfilled the law and temptations were real. And we see that in Hebrews uh, chapter 4 verse 15 and uh, then chapter 7 and 26. Let's read these two, te- uh, these two passages. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So he was tempted in all things, in all things, exactly as we are. Temptation had the same strength, the same power that it has over us to tempt us. Yet he was without sin. And about uh, Bible says, we'll see that all that God designated Jesus to be both the high priest and the sacrificial lamb for our sins. And Hebrews 7:26, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So our high priest was holy, innocent, undefiled, separate. When he came in the heavens and presented to the Father himself as a sacrificial lamb, he was innocent. He was undefiled because he was also the high priest and the Passover lamb. So he had to be undefiled in his nature. Let's summarize. So if Jesus was made sin in his nature, he would not have been anymore the the blameless, innocent, sacrificial lamb. The second thing, is that he wouldn't have had the right to resurrection. And we will see in the second, in this last part of the session, why resurrection is so important, so vitally important to our salvation. Third, we can lose any time our salvation. We don't have any assurance. Our salvation is not secure. And we will see in the last, probably last session of this series, I will talk in detail about why our salvation is secure. Why once we are saved genuinely, we can never lose our salvation. We will live forever. I already anticipated in the previous session why, from Genesis 3, 24, why we live for, why we cannot lose our salvation. But I will bring more arguments from the Bible and we'll see it together. We'll study more in depth uh, and that will give you hope, a strong hope, a strong a faith and liberty, joy and peace. And it will make you walk even more in holiness uh, and more in the love of the Father because He gave us so much. And now we're moving to the last part of this session, the third point, uh, when we, where we talk about Jesus' sin, uh, the, li- the sinless life of Jesus. Those 33 years that He lived on the earth where He fulfilled the law, He obeyed God, He learned obedience, but He never sinned. And He had the full opportunity and potential to sin. What did He accomplish by His life? Well, the first thing, is that he became, he wasn't from the beginning at birth, but he became through his lived life, he became the perfect, blameless, sacrificial lamb. He was, the Bible says that he was perfected through sufferings of temptation and the cross to become the high priest and the blameless lamb. And we read that in Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him for for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect, 
the author of their salvation through sufferings. Now think about this. A person cannot be called righteous, cannot uh, reach, attain that state of righteousness or blamelessness without having the opportunity to, uh, opportunity and temptation to be unrighteous. Think about a person. Many times we say about other people, that person, that person is a moral person, has a high standard of morality or is a person with integrity. What makes us say that? Because he wasn't overnight, he didn't become moral and with integrity overnight. But he had a period of time that we have known that person in which he had the possibility, the opportunity to, to be immoral or to be dishonest uh, and without integrity, but he didn't. So for a, or for, a, a, for a time, for a period of time, he had the opportunity, the temptation to be immoral but he was consistent and persevering. That's why we call that person. And maybe we know circumstances and situations when we know for sure that those persons were tempted to be immoral, to be without integrity, but they, they weren't. They kept their integrity. They kept their morality. That's why we say that person is with morality. The same about Jesus. He had to go through. He was created perfect. He was created holy. He was created sinless. But in the same time, he... he he had to be perfected. He had to have the temptation to be unrighteous, temptation to sin, so that in the end, after these 33 years, God could say, yes, you are blameless. You are innocent. You are righteous because you had the opportunity to, to, to sin, but you didn't. As, as, as I, and as I said, he was created perfect. He was born of the Spirit, and he still uh, had to be perfected made complete and that means to use to apply that holiness from inside in the real life to apply it in his lived life and we will see why that is important because uh, we as christians are the same we are uh, we are made perfect in the nature of our spirits when we are born again but then we need to be perfected meaning to apply what has happened in our spirit who is the real us in our soul into our bodies into our exterior world to perfect uh, that means to perfect. And Jesus, he was, he was holy. He was the son of God. And we see, and still we see in Hebrews 5, 8 to 10, and we'll read it in a minute, that he had to learn obedience through sufferings. Let's read Hebrews 5, 8 to 10. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, so he was made perfect, not from the beginning, but in, in this life. He became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. So he was made, he learned obedience. He was made perfect. He was perfected through obedience. The perfect sacrifice. Amen. And uh, another thing that I want to say here and is very important is that Jesus' sufferings were never consistent, uh, consisted in the effects of spiritual death that we talked about in the first session. Meaning sickness, physical sickness, failure, depression, confusion, uh, weakness. He was never subject to those. He, all his life, he condemned those and he destroyed those wherever he went in, uh, whenever he faced them, he destroyed them. So Jesus did not experience that kind of sufferings. Uh, 
those belong to spiritual death and I will, uh, we will see later on why this is important. Jesus' sufferings were temptations and persecution from people and finally the death on the cross, but not things from the devil that would affect his earthly life. He would not be subject to things that pertain to sin and to death that entered the world once with sin. Amen. Now, I want to ask you, I want to ask you a question. Can you imagine what kind of faith Jesus had to have just before the cross uh, to believe? He, he had to believe. We see him in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed. He was, um, he was, he was crying. He was praying. And he had, he, he told, he told the Father, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but your will be done. And then on the cross, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Uh, can you imagine what kind of heavy faith he had to have to, to believe that his life was indeed sinless and that his sacrifice would be accepted by the Father and to have faith that he will come back from the dead? Let's read Hebrews 5, 7 and see what he did while he was on this earth in the flesh. The Bible says, In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. So he wasn't, he, he knew that he would be saved, but in the same while he lived on the flesh, he needed to pray, to be assured, to pray to Father to save him from death. He was approaching the cross. And you know, many times, even we as Christians, we have moments where we hear a sermon and we are so filled with faith, so built up. And in those moments, we are, we, we think of ourselves that any, anything that may come in our way, we will be overcome and say, we will, we will overcome it. And then a few days pass and uh, maybe a few weeks and a problem comes, a tribulation. And all of a sudden, in the darkness of the moment, it seems like we forget uh, all of those faith, all that faith, it seems like nothing can encourage us. It feels like our perception, although the reality is the one that we experience, we perceive when we have that faith and the truth uh, uh, permeated our mind and our soul. In, in the moment, in the darkness of the moment, our perception of reality changes. And even though the truth is the same, our perception is different and affects us. So in the same way, Jesus, I believe, he, he knew the truth. He was, he prayed with God, uh, to, to have that confidence to go to the cross and to, because in the middle of suffering, physical suffering, torment, uh, beatings, uh, mockings, and then death on the cross. Can you imagine that the, the reality that what he saw, what he felt affected his perception of reality. So he had to fight the same fight of faith that we are asked to fight. To fight when to believe the word that he paid for us for our health he paid for our sins we are no longer under the condemnation we are prosperous we we have a right to prosper we have a right to to righteousness to health and he asked us to believe the same way he believed he fought the good fight of faith on the cross he had to believe that he would come back from the dead and the father would accept that sacrifice that's so extraordinary every time i think about this i I, I, I'm so thankful to Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you have not given up. Thank, and can you imagine if Jesus, the Son of God, created sinless and holy, he needed prayer. He, he cried, he said, with loud crying and tears, he asked the Father to save him from death. Much, how much more we as Christians need, need, we need to pray and always pray without ceasing that he would save us from the, uh, from the spiritual death around us that tried 
tries to attack us, tries to influence, try, tries to bring us back under subjection. So we need to be prayer, people of prayer, people, prayerful people, pray in the spirit, pray in tongues, and so that we are able to, when the dark, when the, the, the moment of darkness, the, the bad day that uh, comes, that we will be able to stand, even when our perception of reality is tried, that we will be able to stand firm and be overcoming. That's so amazing what Jesus has done when he was here on the on the, on earth. So the first thing that is he was perfected. That's one of the things that he accomplished through his life. The second thing is that uh, his life, his sinless life, assured his resurrection. It gave him the right to be resurrected from the death from the dead. Now think about this: if Jesus had not been killed by people. And uh, since he was sinless, he never sinned. He wouldn't. He would continue to live. He would. He wouldn't die. Why is that? Because death is reserved, is right only for those who sin. So he would not have died, but he was killed by people. Death could not have touched him because he never sinned. And Jesus was resurrected back to life, not because he was God, but because he lived a sinless life on the earth. That's the second thing that his sinless life accomplished. It gave him the right to be resurrected because he died as a human. He lived as a human, not as a God. So his God position is not the reason why he was brought back to life, but his sinless life lived on earth. So that's the second major thing that Jesus accomplished by living a sinless life. If Jesus remained in death, that meant he was sinful as well because only those who sin die. We saw in Romans 6.23. So if he remained in death, that meant that he was sinful too. But he lived a sinless life. And that meant that his sacrifice, if he remained in death, his sacrifice was not accepted by the Father, right? Because, uh, and consequently, consequently, we all remained in our sins because there is no payment. So let, let me uh, say it again. So if Jesus remained in death, that means sin was found in him, but we know he lived a sinless life. But sin was found in him. And if he remained in death, that means his sacrifice was not accepted by the Father. That means there is no payment for human race sins. That means we are still in our sins. Let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19. Here is where I talk about the importance of resurrection. And resurrection and also they are connected. Uh, the re resurrection depends on his sinless life and then... Uh, we'll, our salvation depends on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 19 says this. Paul is talking here to the Corinthians. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your, your faith also is vain, is in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise. So we say something that God didn't do, so we testify against God. If in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are, we are of all men most 
to be pitied. So Jesus' death without the resurrection was, is not enough, would not have been enough to atone and pay for humanity's sins and for justification. By his resurrection, resurrection, he was, he was first justified, and through his justification, the rest of the people in Christ are justified. And we read that in Romans 4.25. See here the accent, the emphasis on the resurrection. Maybe you have noticed you have never noticed it in this way. Romans 4.25. He who was delivered over, it talks about Jesus, God talks about Jesus. He was delivered over because of our transgressions and he was raised because of our justification or for our justification. He was, his resurrection was for our justification. And Romans 10, 9 to 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God put him to death no you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation so you have to believe not only in jesus is there but in his resurrection that's the most if he didn't resurrect if he didn't come back to life that means he uh he remained in death that means he had sin because death is the penalty for sin that means the sacrifice was not accepted. That means you are still in your sins. Amen. So the second thing that his sinless life, that assured resurrection accomplished, is that uh, it made resurrection possible. And the third thing is that his sinless life gained the righteousness that will be credited to Christians. He fulfilled all the law and obeyed God to the end. Now Jesus, as I mentioned, was sinless and still he died and experienced physical death and spiritual death. Now, because he did not sin, his death is, uh, is, is not right in God's justice. It's unjust death. So, God had to reconcile that death somehow because it wasn't right for Jesus to die. He did not sin. So, what he did, he took that death and credited to, uh, considered it to be the penalty, the punishment for the sins that we as people did. So he took that death. Okay, Jesus, you died, but now I consider that death the penalty for humanity's sins. And what happened is that Jesus took legally, this is a legal transaction here. Jesus took legally all our sins on himself and we took legally his punishment of death on ourselves. There was a, a this is the great exchange, but there is more to it. So we exchanged, we took, uh, God considered his death our pen, our punishment and uh, uh, our sins went on to Jesus so and here is what I want to uh, I want to talk about a very important thing you know God uh, Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection paid his death on the cross his resurrection paid for our punishment for our penalty he brought us from the negative side we were in debt to God we were guilty to God and he paid for his death and brought us to zero, meaning he brought us to where to the place to position where Adam was when he was created. But that would have me, would have me, meant for us that we, after we receive Christ in our hearts, we had to start earning our salvation and work for our righteousness to become a God paid our debt, but now we didn't have righteousness. But here is the beautiful part that God went a step forward than he did with Adam. 
And he took Jesus' sinless life and he get, uh, credited to us too. So he made us also righteous. He, he brought us on the positive side. He gave, he gave us his righteousness, the righteousness of God himself, the righteousness of Jesus himself, and made us legally righteous and then also vitally righteous in our nature. Uh, and as, as a result of his righteousness uh, given to us, he also has given us the gift of eternal life, which we, Adam uh, could have had, but now he has given us after we paid. So we paid uh, in Christ. We came to zero and that God give, has given us also Jesus' uh, sinless life. Jesus, the righteousness that Jesus accomplished, that perfection. And now we have that righteousness in us. Our righteousness is based completely on Jesus' righteousness. We are not righteous. We, don't, we do not live in holiness anymore to gain God's favor or to be more righteous. You cannot be more righteous than you are already are, than Jesus Christ's righteousness. So you don't, you are not right. You don't do, you don't live in holiness to gain God's favor or to gain righteousness or to work for your righteousness or to maintain your salvation. Not even that. Because we, we work righteousness on the outside. We work out our salvation and we live in holiness because of the love of the Father. Because we want to advance the kingdom of God. Because our nature has changed. And we love the nature of God. We love holiness. We love righteousness. Our nature has changed. And because we want to be a blessing to people. We want to represent God. We want to love people. And the, even the beautiful, more beautiful part is that whatever God accomplishes through us. It says that we are his workmanship. Whatever good works we accomplishes for, we are also rewarded at the end for what he does through us. So that's amazing. But why? So we were brought in a more elevated position than Adam. We were brought in an unconditional, fixed state of righteousness and eternal life. And how was that exchange possible? We see in Matthew 26 and uh, verse 28 where uh, the supper, where Jesus had supper, the last supper with his disciples, he, he took bread and wine and he said, he entered into a covenant, in a blood covenant with them and with all the human race. He took the cup and he said in verse 28, this is the blood, my blood of the covenant that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus Christ entered into a blood covenant with the apostles and the whole human race. And that blood covenant meant that everything that the disciples and the human race had belonged to Jesus. And everything that Jesus had belonged to people. So now all the people, the disciples and Jesus Christ became one. That is why when Jesus Christ went on the cross... We went on the cross with him. We died with him and we were resurrected with him because of that blood covenant that Jesus did before he went. And not only that, it's also the covenant of God with Abraham, but that's a different nature. He made a blood covenant with Abraham and he said that the seed of Abraham, Christ, would be the heir of the world. But that's, uh, that's one of the main reasons why this exchange, that great exchange of Jesus' death with our sins was possible. But according to Romans 5, God did much more that he not only paid, but he also has given us righteousness without uh, sweating for it. And finally, uh, I hear a lot of Christians, uh, and probably I was, I was one too, that I, I said that in the, in the past, that we are sinners saved by grace. 
And that is not true. And I want to encourage you to uh, give up that this affirmation. You are not a sinner saved by grace. If you receive Christ in your heart, if you were born again, you could say the correct way would be, I was a sinner, but I am now saved by grace. I've been saved by grace. Or even more correct, that the Bible says, and Apostle Paul in his epistles all over, he says, I, I am a saint. I am a righteousness of God. I am righteous, uh, a righteous one saved by grace. Or I am a saint saved by grace. That's the truth. It's not a lie. So we are no longer sinners saved by grace, but we are righteousness. We are saints saved by grace. We can, we can no longer sing. I mean, you could if you want, but it's not the truth. You can no longer sing songs like, I am broken, or uh, that affirm our brokenness or weakness, uh, weakness uh, like something like, creating me a pure heart. There is a very beautiful song, worship song. And you could continue to sing it, but it doesn't help you re renew your mind because God has already created a pure heart. And of course, we have to apply that heart into our soul and we have to be perfected. But he already created that heart, pure heart in us or renew a right spirit within me. He already did that. He has given you a new spirit, a, a holy nature when you are born again or cast me not away from thy presence. He will never cast, that, cast you away of your presence. Why would you sing that? He will never do that. That was true for David in the Old Testament in Psalm 51 because he wasn't saved. He, his, his nature was sin. He wasn't saved. He, so for him, it was right to say, cast me not away of thy presence because the presence of God would come and go and come and go in the Old Testament. So uh, David rightly sings, cast me not away from your presence or... But that's not true for us Christians. Or do not take the Holy Spirit from me. How can he take the Holy Spirit from you when the Bible says in John, I think 16, is, or, or, that the Holy Spirit will come to be with you and in you forever. Forever. He will be in you and for you. he will never be taken away from you. So that, that's another. And there are a lot of, so, uh, a lot of similar songs that are focusing on the, on the humanity, on the our brokenness on our state before salvation. And it's true. Sometimes we experience uh, depression. We experience, we feel low. We feel down. Or we experience sick, physical sickness. And I, I don't deny that. I'm not saying for you to deny that, that you are sick. But we deny the right of sickness to stay in us. We deny that sickness is illegal. It's not the truth of God. We deny the right of depression to stay with us. And we focus on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, what we have become in Christ. Praise God that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, both legally and vitally. And our nature has changed. And we, we have eternal life. And if you remember all the facets of eternal life from the first session, we have all those, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the, the uh, healing, prosper, health, prosperity, wisdom, uh, righteousness, uh, joy, peace, wholeness. Uh, that's our inheritance. That's our right. So when, when we experience all the devil and the world tries to subject us back into bondage, but we have to fight the good fight of faith. And uh, with our words, with our declaration, with our meditation, with, in prayer, praise God. And you might say to me, some people say, Oh yeah, but we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 Yes, we all sinned, but that was before salvation. We all sinned and we are born into this world fallen short of the glory of God. We no longer have the glory that Adam had. We lost it. 
But after salvation, that glory is restored. And I will talk about in detail that we are sons of glory after salvation. That glory of God was restored back to us. It was back given. Now we, we are no longer fallen short of the glory of God. We have the glory of God, praise God, in us. We have it in us and we are supposed to manifest it and show it to the proclaim God's excellences. We are a chosen race, First Peter. Uh, we are a chosen race, a chosen generation, called out to proclaim God's excellencies to the, uh, to the creatures uh, of heaven, to the world, to the devil. Show God's wisdom and multifaceted wisdom of God. So praise God. So we are, we, we, are, we are no longer sinners. We are no longer fallen short of the glory of God, but we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? And we will continue to talk about this and it's get, it gets better and better. How, how beautiful is the gospel? How powerful is the gospel? Let's pray in the end of this session. I want to pray with you. Let's pray to, to God that he will help us understand and, um, and get this message deep in our, in our minds, in our spirits, and live it out. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your glory. We thank you for the mystery of the gospel. Thank you so much for what you have done in Christ Jesus. Thank you for so much for your love and, and mercy and grace that you have shown in Christ. Thank you for the much more. Thank you for the gift, Father, of righteousness, of eternal life, that we no longer have to be stressed out and we no longer have to be condemned. We no longer have to work out. Uh, to work for our righteousness, but to work the righteousness that is already in us. Father, I thank you and I pray that you'd help us by the Holy Spirit to hold on to this message and to keep it and to stay in it, to stay in Christ, to stay in this message and help us work it out towards other people, work it out in our lives and become, Father, be perfected. Help us be perfected as Christ was perfected. Be perfected in this righteousness in our daily walk. We worship you, Father and we love you and Jesus we want to give you a special thanks and we are so eternally grateful that you have not given up and you have went all the way to the cross so that today we will be free free of sin free of death free of of, uh, of darkness father thank you. Jesus thank you Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your help in prayer. Thank you for helping us in prayer that we do not know how to pray, but you pray for us. We worship you, Father, and we honor you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Until we meet again in the next session, may God bless you richly in all the aspects of your life and may enrich your life and make you prosper, make you walk in health, make you walk in dominion, and make you reign in, in life, in eternal life that he has given us. Amen.